0: back into wholesaling, 2008, nine, 10, 11, 12, did really, really well, two to 300 homes a year in the last couple of years. And then we started flipping some multifamily. And I said, wow, this is pretty This is pretty wild that we could flip a multifamily for 25 to you know 100K per flip.
1: Hello and welcome to Pillars of Wealth Creation, where we talk about creating financial success with a special focus on business and real estate, I'm your host, Todd Dexheimer. Now, let's get to it. our sponsor for the show today is pine financial group the leader in hard money lending in colorado and minnesota and they were recently approved to offer their investment publicly this investment offers only for investors in colorado minnesota and is only made through their investment prospectus. get your copy today simply visit www.pineinvestments.com and click to get started look there's a reason why some of the wealthiest people in history invest in loans backed by real estate learn more about the risks and returns at www.pineinvestments.com hello and welcome back to pillars of wealth creation i'm the host todd dexheimer with me today i've got bruce Willat with me bruce how are you doing i'm doing fantastic and improving awesome that's always that's always good so bruce is the founder and current owner of bakerson growing up in the bakery business in twin cities minnesota which is uh where i'm from so that's kind of cool uh, which is not where we met but uh bruce wanted to pay homage to his now late father hence the name bakerson um after trying his hands on a few different ventures in Minnesota, Chicago, and Phoenix, he finally found his passion in real estate. He has a proven track record of success through Bakerson's 17 years in business with thousands of individual units bought, repositioned, and sold. Bruce is overseeing all aspects of the business, including operations, acquisitions, product, leadership, equity, fund management, property, specific syndications, legal, finance, and more. His focus is on finding good deals while his passion is serving the residents by providing them with one of their basic human needs in that shelter prior to launching Bakerson in two thousand and two, he served on the acquisitions team at a phoenix based real estate investment company, and his passion is serving the underserved with the focus on permanent, on the permanent renter, one who may never own a home and would like to live in one so with that, uh, Bruce, give our listeners a little bit more. Obviously, you're from Minnesota. You're living in Phoenix. Give our listeners a little bit more about who you are, what your background is, and, uh, and what you guys are doing today.
0: Yeah. Um, well, I grew, Like you said, I grew up in the bakery business in the Twin Cities, the Wallet Bakeries, and, and did a uh, little bit of everything there, and I kind of wanted to pursue my own thing, so I, I took a dive into something completely different, which was executive recruiting or headhunting. And what I learned from that is that uh, business is about relationships, is about establishing um, relationships with individuals. And so I did that for four years, two years in, in Minneapolis, two years in Chicago. I got burned out on that and headed to Phoenix and tried my hands. And um, first thing I did was uh, medical device sales, decided that selling the inanimate object was not as exciting as selling skills and people. Like I did head hunting, so I, I tried education. Did that for a year, drug education. Um, that was short lived, and then I was introduced to real estate, and and through that started out taxing foreclosures. I was on the acquisition team, and I, I found the deals, and and I realized that the founder of that company was putting a leaving a lot of money on the table. So I said, hey, I can I can buy those, and so I started buying from him. Started buying my own. Um, Rich dad, poor dad was kind of the one that launched that. Uh, it's the only book of his I really dove into and, and liked. I don't know if I loved it, but I liked it. It kind of launched my mindset of on, on making making uh, money in real estate. Started to buy, fix, and sell. And then in uh, 2003, I was I was finding more properties than we could pop, possibly fix and sell. So we were introduced to wholesaling, actually end of 2002, December. And while I was in this training with a friend, now a friend of mine, Jim Staples, I flipped a property in Phoenix and said, I was in Seattle for the training. I flipped a property. We had an escrow, and I was like, wow, that's pretty neat. And I got addicted to wholesaling where we had flip them first in escrow. We had an escrow do the double flip, but then after a while, we found out we could do a little bit better if we actually take it down, buy it at auction, clean it up, meet city requirements, uh, get rid of graffiti, board them up if needed, clean the yards, you know, just trash outs, did that. So
1: you weren't doing a full fix and flip. You were just kind of – Gating them so they weren't quite so bad, maybe cleaning out some of the the difficulties that will scare a lot of people away.
0: Yeah, it was actually really nice because they, they would see the, what, what it could become then because they'd walk in and sometimes the drywall was gone. Like if there was a cat problem, you got to get rid of some of the drywall or uh, vandalism. You know, people were stealing copper back in uh, 2004, four, yeah. five, and six. It was just unbelievable the copper we. Re- Sometimes we had to do the same patch three times in a week because you'd put it in and the next night somebody would break in and steal the copper in. You just move on, just do your thing and eventually they go away. Um, Pex is a good, a good thing to put in. Right, <laughs> It's
1: right. a great invention. <laughs> yeah.
0: So yeah, that was where I started, but that was not, um, you know, so then everybody says that, you know, have you had any, had any battle wounds? We certainly, we certainly did. Um, I got involved in the land land play, square mile. was really getting set on de- being a big-time developer. Um, and then 2007-8 happened, and the big-time developer balloon was popped. And I said, you know, that cost me a lot of money, cost me a lot of stress. And I said, I- I'm going to go back to what I know and, and went back into wholesaling. 2008, 9, 10, 11, 12, did really, really well, two to 300 homes a year in the last couple of years. And then we started flipping some multifamily. And I said, wow, this is, pretty, this is pretty wild that we could flip a multifamily for 25 to, you know, 100K per flip. But I realized that that's still the day I stopped working is the day I quit making, making money. So I said, let's try syndicating, buying properties, do form a syndication, you know, put out a, a 18-month to, to three-year plan. And so we've been doing that now since, uh, boy, it's been about five and a half years. Of multi-family six years of multi-family nearly a thousand units i think about 800 units we've we've completed uh repositioned and sold and we have two two buildings in escrow so the, the machine continues one of the buildings in escrow though is a hold. that's a 10-year play it'll be our first 10-year or longer hold and that's really exciting because now we're going from the first it was really short-term you know days Then it went to months then it went to three-year cycle now we're looking at a 10-year cycle and and that um maturing of this of the of us in real estate has been actually quite exciting to experience. I do miss the hype of the turns, but I got to find my my hype other ways by hiking and biking and doing other things to feed the adrenaline.
1: <laughs> I hear you there. I mean, we, we I used to do a lot of flips and uh when I decided I'm no longer going to be flipping that was a totally different shift, you know. It's like I'm so used to doing transactions. I always felt like there's something wrong. Like I, I'm, I'm not doing business like I should be. I was doing 50 plus transactions a year and all of a sudden I go down to doing like two or three. <laughs> you know? yeah. so, uh, but take me through that kind of that mind shift Well, what, you know, you go from wholesaling quick and you already kind of said, well, you wanted something a little longer term, but then you went, to do 18 to 36 months. So longer term, but still short-ish term. Uh, and now you've got this property that you're looking at closing here and you're looking at a 10-year hold. So first of all, why? What What? what do you see in that longer period and, and kind of maybe what made you shift your, your mind into that?
0: Yeah, that's, uh, it was actually um, about two to three years ago, there was three different things that happened. One is my brother said, hey, we should do some buy and hold. And then my son, um, who you've, you've also met, Ben, he wanted to do some buy and hold. And it wasn't real exciting, but I was sitting down with another business owner, and we were talking on uh, trans, transactional versus annuity. Uh, he's in the trades trades business, and he does uh, high-end remodels for custom homes, home sites and high-end, the wealthy, the wealthy and the uber-wealthy and the... Phoenix, Metro, Scottsdale, Paradise Valley. And he says that when he had these repeat customers, it became an annuity. One of those uh, customers owns apartment buildings, and they have hundreds of units. And so they do all the individual turns as they upgrade these Class A, A-plus um, apartments. And he says it became an annuity. And I said, well, tell me more about that. So we, we visited about what is transactional, what is annuity. And even though we are on an 18 to 36 month, we are fee-based, so everything was transactional. And it has been transactional. But how can you create annuities that pay you even when you're hiking the Grand Canyon like I recently did or, or you're on vacation with your family or you're in the office working? How can you have that machine continue to work? Transactional, it ends when you quit doing transactions. Before, when we flipped houses. As soon as we stopped, our, our business was dead. Well, now we can stop, and we probably have still two to three years of unloading assets to, to survive. But then you're out of business. Well, what happens if you have annuities so that if you stop, the machine continues to work, continues to feed you? So that's where that, that really, that, that seed was planted. And and I'm kind of late to the party on these things. So it took me a bit for that seed to germinate and grow. And now I'm excited about the buy and hold, which took a long time, uh, four years, five years of discussions before I finally said, okay, I'm on board with this. And I'm not sure why, but often I get told somebody, I'm just sometimes late to the party.
1: So um, So that's good that you made that kind of, change or that that's where you've gone now. How have you then transitioned your investors? Because right, they're used to one thing. And now you're saying, well, we're going to do this 10 year thing. Are you bringing in investors in, into the, the 10 year and how has that reaction been?
0: It's been it's been interesting. The ones um, you know, I want to go back to when we were flipping houses, when we went to that and we set up our first syndication on a, a multifamily, a number of them said, we're not interested in multifamily. Mm-hmm. We, we like houses. And they, and so then we quit contacting them and then slowly but surely they got on board as they seen us doing our business. Okay. I like this. I, I, we're on board with you guys. Yeah. And so we're, we're having that same, same reaction now, but there's a few that we've talked to over the years that said, they're not interested in the short term, call us when you have something long term. Mm. And so that hasn't been as, as big of a difficulty as we thought it would have been. The transition's actually been quite smooth. And, but yeah, you're right. There's a, there's a handful of those uh, core investors that are not interested in 10 years. And, and the conversation has been interesting because they say, well, 10 years is too long. We don't know where the market's going to be in 10 years. And I said, that's, that's true, but we don't know where it is in three years either. And just because it's a 10 year plan, we could choose seven or 12. It doesn't have to be exactly 10. That's a number you put and a date you put on the calendar, but in the end you, you manage the cycle and you make good, good decisions based on that. Is it time to refire? Is it time to sell? Or is it time to just let it continue to operate as it sits? You have three options at that point, sell, refi, or leave, you know, as it sits, unless you have a mortgage due, then you have some more stresses that will come to, you know, to refinance or sell, but it's really the options at that point. And it it could be that we buy a property, the 10 year plan, and we sell it in three years because we're at some kind of a peak or it's a good opportunity to sell. Something's happened, but the 10 year is, is a, is a target, which could which is adjustable.
1: Kind of gives you a longer term outlook, gives you a, a, a the thing I like about that 10-year, the longer term is that we don't know what's going to happen. And, and yeah, we don't know what's going to happen in 10 years, but we also don't know what's going what's to happen in 18 months from now. You know, it's like, we don't know. So what's nice about the 10 years, we do know that history tells us that real estate always gains value. That doesn't mean it gains value every single day and in year, year to year. It doesn't always go up. We have figured that out. That in two thousand, you know, six to two thousand eight, we saw a pretty substantial drop. But let's look back then from two thousand six to today, and we can see that it has still increased in value. So that's the nice thing with that ten-year plan is we're looking more long-term. We're going well. We're just looking at the fundamentals of real estate. It's gonna go up in value. Rents will go up. You know, um, we will have an increased amount of equity, no matter what. Um, now, again, timing, we don't know, but we do know if it's long term, eventually real estate will be worth more than what it's worth today, whether we're at the peak or not. Correct. But yep. That's definitely something I, I, I like about that longer term plan. And I've had some of the same uh, problems with, with uh, investors. You know, it's always that conversation with them. And it's funny how you said, like, eventually they get on board uh, with you. So, hey, let's take a minute to thank our sponsor, Pine Financial Group. Look, you work hard for your money. Is your money working hard for you? Because of inflation, money sitting idle erodes your wealth. Many investors understand that real estate is a great investment, but may not want the effort or the risk that comes with owning their own property. They want to sit back and have payments, Hit their bank account each and every month. Stop eroding your wealth and start building it by asking your money to work for you. You should be earning profits while you sleep in investment backed by real estate. Pine Financial Group, the leader in hard money lending in Colorado and Minnesota was recently approved to offer their investment publicly. This investment offers only for investors in Colorado and Minnesota, and is only made through the investment prospectus. Get your copy today. Simply visit www.pineinvestments.com and click to get started. There's a reason why some of the wealthiest people in history invest in loans backed by real estate. Learn more about the risks and returns at www.pineinvestments.com. It's www.pineinvestments.com. So let's talk about the kind of your business and it's progressed, obviously. And I know now you've got um, your son working for you. And I think you've got a couple other people on your team. And so let's talk about the team and, and how how that dynamic has worked and what have you done to really help build that team and make sure the team is, is working well together to achieve all the goals. Any Any kind of Maybe top three uh, steps that you're taking to to make sure that's working well.
0: Well, in the, um, in the in the building of the team, there's some very important fundamentals. Is, is you know, we have to work, be able to work well together, and we have a, a pretty unique uh, environment. And over half the people are family—a son and son-in-law, and a brother and brother-in-law—and we get along socially. We get along uh, at work. And we have a rule, one of the rules we have is we don't discuss work at home. So if we're visiting with family at home, we do not make business decisions at home because some of the team members aren't there. They're, at, they're not part of the family. But they're part of our Bakerson family. Just like when we're at work, we don't bring our baggage from home into the, into the work environment. We ask yeah. to leave that at home. And if you do have issues at home, you know, family first. Uh, the biggest thing that we have is, that, that we developed over the last few years was uh, clarity of vision and where we're going. You know, our focus being the permanent resident, um, is, is something that everybody everybody enjoys. When we go down and visit with the, the um, at the properties, we treat every resident with the dignity they deserve, and that's one thing that has been frustrating for me when we got into this business of multifamily. Is how many owners do not care at all about the residents, and I'm like, are you kidding? A $700 a month resident in five years is a $42,000 customer. Right. You shouldn't treat them with disrespect. So that's number one: is you treat people with respect. The other thing is open communications, and, and uh, what I mean is if there's an issue, you don't harbor it. You just visit with each other and say, hey, I got this problem, how do I deal with it, and bring it to the table quickly. Um, it's easier for me to bring those up and discuss that and, and not harbor bad feelings, because some people say, oh, I don't want to approach the boss because he might be mad about something. I say, no, approach me. I, I might get mad. It depends on what the situation is. I try not to, but all in all, they know that I have a good temperament, that I have a, a very, um, I'm very intense, but yet we have a, a good vision towards treating, uh, creating these communities. And the biggest, two biggest things is treating with residents with dignity, but also creating communities which are safe, functional, durable, and clean. That's our mission. And it's very simple. They don't, we don't need fancy high-end um, um, uh, amenities for these properties. They, they like a very basic living. And if it's, if it's durable, functional, clean, and safe, right. people like to live there. So that's, right. that glue has been for us what's really brought us together and some people I've brought on and some people have a, approached me. So it's been an interesting dynamic. Uh, most people have a, on our team have approached me and said, Hey, I'm looking for work. Look, I would like to work for you. And so that's been a, a blessing and for sure.
1: Yeah, definitely. Definitely. Cool. Uh, yeah. It's, I mean, it's uh, building a culture. I think is really important uh, when you're trying to build out a team and making sure people understand um, kind of your culture, your vision, like you said, your, your clarity uh, around things. So really good. Um, you, you already kind of mentioned some mistakes. What's, what's one mistake you can kind of tell us that you, uh, really learned from and, and so go through the mistake and then how have you really learned and grown from that mistake?
0: Well, when we, um, when I was in that, uh, looking at that land development, we bought the property and did a, um, with, with not a lot of knowledge, but we had a big dream. We were going to partner with a golf community, uh, next door as a high end private golf course. Mm. Uh, Greg Norman was the designer on the new course, and he is—he was going to fly out, and he'd actually done the preliminary his his team, preliminary design on the piece of land that we had had, had control. But instead of the biggest mistake there is, we dove in without knowledge of what we were getting into, thinking, "Hey, we can lock it up," and and it was probably a sense of greed, I guess you could say. We, we could lock this up, create this, and sell it to this guy, and make 25 million on our on our on our, our, our performa. Over a very short period of time, so we thought, "Hey, this is awesome. We're going to develop this." We didn't know much about development; a little bit. We knew much. We knew about land prices, but the, probably the biggest mistakes in that one is we were, we were getting into um, business with a guy that we never vetted and didn't know what he yeah. had going on. And he ended up getting shut down later after the after the crash because of some things he did. And taken the investors took over the project. Set, uh, but the biggest thing we did is we bought the properties on contract, seller carry and We de- took deed to the property where we talked to other developers and they said, always do options. You want to be safe. See, so I'll tell you what, I'll pay all your property taxes plus a little bit of extra towards the option. Anything I give you applies to the purchase price that we predetermined. And some of the developers we talked to said the options are much more valuable. So the two things yeah. is we didn't know what we we're getting into as a developer. We weren't developers, but we thought we could be. And then we didn't know, That we we didn't know about these options but from that these options is what launched our um our relaunched our wholesale business where i was able to tie up properties and and turn them fast and and create these options on individual houses that really helped launch our business where we were doing like i said two to three hundred houses a year at the peak and so that's what i learned but the biggest thing i learned is never give up just persevere push through there's a problem, work your way through, communicate with the investors, communicate with the partners and make sure that it's okay to share bad news. Don't hide it.
1: Yeah, so did you have investors in that deal? I did and did. it's interesting
0: and-, and we did lose, we all lost money and there was some that were, uh, we had borrowed against uh, some of our own properties. So I ended up uh, paying them back on my own. There were like personal guarantees, but the investors that came in as partners, uh, the biggest group or the, the biggest investors in that when the market was turning around, one of them came up to me and said, Hey, Bruce, what are you guys doing over there? And I said, well, we're, you know, flipping houses doing this. He says, well, how are you, how are you funding it? And I, said, I told him, he says, well, I mean, in, I'm interested. I can help out. And I thought, here's the guy that lost hundreds of thousands of dollars in a pretty big transaction was willing. He says, I know it wasn't your your fault. Let's, let's try again. And so he's been investing with us ever since. It's been a, it's been a really fun journey.
1: So I, I really want to, to, um kind of hit on this a little bit more because I think that's important. I mean, you've, you've got a, something that obviously went wrong, um, made some mistakes along the way, uh, opportunity, well, obviously market didn't behave very well. <laughs> but you were able to get through that and keep on, keep on going with your business. You, you never gave up, as you said. And then you had investors, though, that continued to do business with you. What's it like? Why, why did they do business with you? What was, what do you think was a key that, that helped you continue those relationships? Well,
0: that's part of the mystery. Cause I did not seek them out. There's three of them that continue to invest with us. And there's only one that I asked it one day. I said, you know, why did you, why did you uh, continue? Why did you come back to us? He said, cause I knew that wasn't your fault. I know you're good people that, that we, we bet on the same horse you did. It wasn't like it was your own. He's we, we bet we did all the research that you did. We did our own. We looked at it. And we said, yeah, this is something we can do. The market crashed. The, the neighboring, the guy that owned that, that country club uh, went out of business. Investors took it over. He says, these are things that were out of your control. And we went in. We were betting on the same horse. It wasn't like we were betting just on you. We are betting on the, on the whole game. And so they saw that that happened, that that was not a – or he saw that it was not our fault that the market shifted. And there's some things we could have done different, but overall, he said that um, – he trusted that we're good, good people. I've known him my whole life. Uh, one of them, but yeah, actually all three of them. I've known two of them my whole life, one of them for probably 18 years. So they weren't like fresh investors that came along with us. Well, they were fresh at the time, I guess, but
1: yeah. Yeah. But you had that's already probably the biggest thing them. is they
0: trusted that we're, even when we persevered through this, they see that, okay, these guys are giving the effort. They didn't walk away from anything. They're doing the best they can to, mm. to make things better. And since then he's made enough, they've made enough off of their investment to pay that back. I mean, we've done really well with some things we did with them
1: and and i think something you you hit on earlier well a couple of things i mean first of all you, you talk about you know they already they see you working hard they see that you're not just giving up and kind of just saying whatever just chalk it up as a loss and been you know be done you you tried to persevere you guys worked at it uh but the other thing you talked earlier you said you you, you told them the bad news you communicated with them and you were open about it. And I think that's probably really important in my opinion. Am I right?
0: Yeah, we've had, we've had investors that have told us that, hey, there's, bad news is better than no news. And then we figured yeah. out the sooner you can share, a, share with us if there's a hiccup or a change in the, in the plans, the sooner we can brace ourselves or even help. There's some, in, some investors that have experience in, in uh, real estate and they can come in with some advice or some help or um, you know, if we got a, who knows what the challenge will be. Uh, the good news, since we've um, switched to the multifamily, we've done 16, 15 uh, individual apartment communities, and each one of those has been successful. Have they always gone exactly as planned? No, you and I know the day you create your, your business model is broken in a sense, but yet in the, all in all, the the returns have been double digit uh, at, at our projections each and every time. So that's why when they've seen that happening, I think they've just, some of those have just continued to invest with us and okay, these guys, it was just a blip in the, in their history as well as the market at the time.
1: Yeah. And that's just, that's just, I think, I think everybody um, that understands business knows that every business is going to go through some ups and downs throughout. And if you're, you know, if you're not, you're probably, first of all, probably not taking the right, amount of risks and you're not really learning, but um, every business is going to go through ups and downs and and you know some bigger than, than others, uh, but it's how you persevere throughout that uh, that's really important and, and how you act and how you communicate. And I really like what you said, that bad news is better than no news. If you're not communicating with your uh, investors, with your partners, with anybody involved, and then bad stuff does happen. You're going to be in a lot worse place than you are if you communicated the whole way, just like you said, so they can brace for it. So they can potentially even help out. So, uh, definitely important. Things don't always go exactly as planned and, or never go exactly as planned. (laughs) Good stuff. Um, what are, what are three key factors you think to your company's success right now?
0: Um, well, primarily I would say faith, you know, faith, family and, uh, and, and the, the team. So I, I have a strong background in, you know, a strong, um, belief system in, in, our, in my faith. And then also the family, the family unit is very important that, you know, strong family unit makes work more exciting for everybody. I think, cause you, you see where people bring broken family issues to the workplace, not that they can't separate them and you can't persevere through that as well, but that's important to me. And, yeah. the, and being that we're family business, you know, five of us are our family. Uh, it's very important. And then uh, the team that we've created, I, I tell people we have uh, we have four four uh, individ- or five family members and three adopted. You know, that's that <laughs> the other people that are on the team feel like they're part of the family. They in fact they've even mentioned that recently at a meeting that they really enjoy being part of the team. So it's exciting. It makes me feel good. So the f- biggest thing is faith, and then family, and then uh, work environment. Those three things. Awesome, awesome.
1: Goals moving forward. What do you, what's the what's the plan for for the company? Where are you guys heading? What do you want to create and do?
0: Uh, the, the the near term, you know, right now we have uh, 256 units that we that we own. So not a big not a big portfolio. Three buildings. We got two buildings in escrow. Total of another 184 uh, in escrow to buy, and then one of the buildings we're selling. So we're still in transition. But my goal is to as fast as we can get into a thousand units under ownership. Um, and that's to buy and hold thousand units in the hold, not not the buy fix and sell we're going to do both depending on the on the opportunity but then ultimately um, I have a personal goal of having two separate goals one is for me personally how many my wife and I can own together uh, with no debt no no um, just cash flow to pay all of our bills so that I don't have to eat feed off the business for myself and then to get 10,000 units as a company Uh, that's a goal that we have and it's a longer term you know, it'll take a while to get it will take many years through the next cycle for sure
1: and when you're talking about your your wife and, and you and getting these units free and clear are you talking about still large multifamily you're talking maybe some smaller stuff what do you what, what does that look like
0: well one of the things I'd really like is a uh, smaller boutique a couple of them you know maybe 40 units total uh, where we, it's a boutique in a small town in, in Arizona that's cl- not too far away that you could uh, we could self-manage or hire an on-site. A you know, local person that help with that, um, but I have some dreams with taking one product and creating another. And it's um, I guess people out there fielding right now, looking for some distressed properties that we could turn into, that are currently not run as multifamily, that we could run as multifamily. Um, hmm. You know, maybe in in Prescott or Wickenburg or Flagstaff or Payson, one of those uh, destination places for visitors. And so if we get that, where we get 40 units, 50 units with no debt. Uh, decent cash flow, maybe do some Airbnb as part of it. Some of those type of things would be pretty exciting.
1: Yeah, and there's all kinds of you know people that will tell you oh, debt that you you need debt or you shouldn't have debt. And there's all different reasons for it. Um, and that would be a whole nother podcast episode that we could mm-hmm. go into. But I definitely like that idea. I mean, I've got my own portfolio, rental portfolio, and I my LTV right now is probably at thirty five forty percent, and I have. I have no desire to, to re-leverage that. And my my goal is to have some of that debt-free. And I, I like that idea. So I do like the the debt-free idea. I know there's some people listening, their their ears are probably burning hearing that, but um, that's just how it is. But you know,
0: I think debt as leverage for a business is fine as long as it's controlled. We're aiming for, on our portfolio hold for the company, uh, you know, roughly 60, 65% uh, maximum. Yeah. And then pay it down from there. And then but just for the personal that's just my own personal goal uh, yeah. Yeah. on myself that I'd like that just so there's no no headache and, and no heartache and bring some more peace because 'cause we've had our ups and downs financially, you know, through through this business and my wife's very gracious putting up with those ups and downs. Some years we travel, some years we haven't. You know, there's been years where it's been pretty tough, um, a number of years ago. We had to regroup and she hung by you know, over twenty eight years. And so it's pretty uh pretty exciting for me.
1: Yeah. Yeah. And def- definitely. I mean, look, it, it, I, I have high leverage or higher leverage on some of my multifamily as well. And, you know, it, it depends on really what your strategy is or your strategy that you're talking about is just having some of these units that you're going to own free and clear that you're going to be able to you know, kind of have as your, your income and be able to use the rest of the income probably to reinvest in your current, you know, your business that you're trying to truly expand. So it really depends on the goals that you're having and what you can do. And you can have Couple different baskets, really, and that's kind of what you're creating. It sounds like. Um, what's a favorite book that you, uh, business or real estate related, that you that you've read?
0: My favorite is Relentless by Tim Grover, Tim S. Grover, mm-hmm. and he was the uh, personal trainer for Michael Jordan, and it's just a cool story where he came in and and explained how he had actually. Sent a letter to all of the Bulls except Michael Jordan and then ultimately became his trainer for, I think, 17 years. Yeah. Um, There's many points in there that just awesome, awesome personal development that I really, really enjoyed. I've read it numerous times in audiobook as well.
1: Yeah. I've, I've, uh, I've recently listened to an Audible. I really enjoyed the book. Um, you know, not a, maybe a ton of real. Like he doesn't break it down like actionable steps as much, but there's a lot of really good stories and stuff you can take from it if, if you're uh, listening carefully. So I like that book a lot too. I don't hear anybody saying that book, so. <laughs> yeah, it's, well, it's, it's, I'm
0: intuitive by nature. So I like to take t- tidbits that I hear and figure how I can apply it in my life. Yeah, And so that's, that's why it was, a, it was a good matchup. And when I read it, it was at a time where I was looking for some, some direction. Where am I going? Who am I? Where do I, yeah. want, who do I want to be? Yeah, cool, cool.
1: Um, so last question, and you might've said some of this stuff already, but last question is what are your three pillars of wealth creation?
0: Well, faith and family, I can put those together. So the three pillars would be faith, family, and then employees would be, uh, you know, having a good team behind you and then real estate, uh, being the machine that would, that would be the pillar for wealth creation. So Cool. Faith and family, I put together in that, and then the employees in real estate. So, yeah, I did repeat some of that from earlier.
1: Perfect. No, I like it. Um, So last, very last question is, if our listeners want to get in touch with you, want to learn more about your business, uh, your syndication, anything like that, how can they reach out to you and and get more information?
0: Well, the the best way um, is through email, bruce at... Bakerson, B A K E R S O N dot com, Bruce at Bakerson dot com. Um, and I haven't given out my phone number, but people don't always take take me up on it, but I'll give you my uh, my work number, uh, work cell, 520 808 9111. Call me anytime. I'd love to share uh, stories, uh, secrets, or learn from people that want to share their information with me either way.
1: Awesome. Well, Bruce, I definitely appreciate it. Appreciate your time and uh, tons of value you were able to add to our show.
0: Well, thank you. I really appreciate having the opportunity to be on the show and it was fun to see you in Chicago and I look forward to seeing you uh, in the future. When I come yeah, to- that, that was a yeah. good time. Yep. We
1: we're, were both at the uh, IMN in Chicago and, and you were actually the... Uh, what, the leader of the panel, right? The one, Moderator, yeah. Moderator, there you go. Um, and that I, I, among what the other people were on. So it was pretty fun to, to meet you, hang out with you and your son and uh, son-in-law as well. So it was a good time. Sounds good. Awesome. Well, have a great rest of the day. All right, thanks. You too, Todd. I appreciate it. Hey, thanks for listening to the show. A couple things before we go. Again, go on to our Facebook page, Pillars of Wealth. We'd love to have you on there. Go on to iTunes, give us a rating and review, and subscribe to the show. Also, um, you know, don't forget, reach out to me if you want any help with uh, potentially growing your business. And reach out to John Styles to help you buy or sell real estate. Thanks for listening. We appreciate it. Have a fantastic the rest of the day and as I say make every day a Saturday.